What does the resurrection mean for you? I ask that subjectively, personally, for a reason. What does the resurrection of Jesus Christ mean for you? Easter Sunday is Resurrection Sunday. As I said in the announcements, it's the most important Sunday of our calendar year. And as I said, we're, we're good Presbyterians, and so I'll, I'll tell you this. We celebrate the resurrection every Sunday, so we invite you back next week to celebrate Resurrection Sunday again with us. But if someone were to ask you why, why is the resurrection so important, how would you respond? What did Jesus really accomplish? Well, hopefully passages such as Romans chapter 1 verses 2 through 4 come to mind where Paul says the gospel which he promised beforehand through his prophets and the holy scriptures concerning his son who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. Or maybe it's Romans 4.25. Jesus was delivered up for our trespasses. He was crucified and raised, resurrected for our justification. Now, if neither of those passages came to mind, maybe it's 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 to 4, when Paul says, I delivered to you of first importance what I received, that Christ died for your sins according to the Scriptures, crucified and dead, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. But what does Paul mean? What does Paul mean when he says he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures? What he means is that all of the scriptures, everything written of them, are fulfilled in Jesus' resurrection from the dead. And what we can notice in the Gospels, if you've read the Gospels recently, you notice that all four Gospels build. They build in anticipation. They're like a hype song as people are getting ready to go out into the field. It's, it's a buildup, getting people excited. But what is the hype song in the Gospels all about? Is it about the resurrection or is it about the crucifixion? Well, if we look at the material and the space used, our answer has to be the cross, the crucifixion. Because here, specifically in Matthew's gospel, we, we see that there's actually very little said about the resurrection. In Matthew 28, the resurrection account is in mere 10 verses. But if we look at the space used for the trial and crucifixion, we see that it 141 verses dedicated to the crucifixion and death of Jesus. And what we conclude from these Gospels is that they were more concerned with the true reality of the death and crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And as you notice, when I spoke about the resurrection, where did I go? I went to Paul's epistles. We can go to the letters of Peter and to John. Because they contain the explanation of the resurrection. The Gospels tell us 
that the resurrection happened from eyewitness accounts. But what I want us to see this morning is that although most of our theology, most of what we think about when we speak of God and His truth, most of what we find is from the epistles. But what I want us to see this morning is for us to have a full understanding of the importance of the gospel and of the resurrection, we must find it here also in the gospels themselves. This is what I mean. Look at me in the text. In Matthew 28, verses 1 through 3. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes white as snow. What, what's happening? Heaven is coming to earth. And earth does all that it can. It obeys. And what does this angel say to these women? Do not be afraid. For I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen as he said. Come, see where he lay. You see, the angel of the Lord did not open the tomb, roll back the stone for Jesus. The angel rolled back that stone so that the women could go in and see that his testimony was true. Jesus is risen from the dead. Just as he said he would. And then what happens? He tells them, go, tell the disciples. And his testimony is proven, is proven, is proven to be true. They meet Jesus. This is what we see. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy, and they ran to tell the disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up, took hold of his feet, and they worshipped him. This is the proper response. This is the only response anyone should ever have when they meet and see the resurrected Jesus. But what's interesting is we have another story being told. We have another narrative because there's more characters in the story. We have these guards who are supposed to protect the body of Jesus, protect him from being stolen. And what do they do? Well, the angel of the Lord appears, and they acted like they were dead. Now, whether they fainted or whether they just played dead, neither is good for a guard to say, this is what I did when someone came to take what we were guarding. But notice what they did. In verses 11 to 15, they go to the Sanhedrin. They go to the chief priests. They go to the Pharisees and say, this is what has happened. And all of a sudden, a new narrative is created. The chief priest says, tell the people his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ear, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. A false story was created on Easter Sunday. 
just like a true story was told on Easter Sunday. And here's what I want to ask you this morning. Have you ever believed a false narrative about Jesus? Have you ever believed in something that isn't true about Jesus? Now, this false narrative might not be, oh, yeah, we believe that his disciples came and took his body, and he's not really risen from the dead. But have you ever believed a false narrative about what we truly believe happened at the resurrection? That somehow Jesus isn't all that he said he would be. That he didn't do all that he promised to do. And this might seem strange. Why would we be asking if we believe in a false narrative on Easter? But here's my next question. Have you ever said something like this before? I truly believe our culture is going to hell in a handbasket. Or, I can't believe what our culture is teaching our children. Or, I can't see any hope in the next generation. If they're left to themselves, what are we going to do? Now, if you have said those words, I don't want you to hear what I'm about to say and hear condemnation. I don't want you to hear that Tyler's getting onto us on Easter. He's not supposed to do that. But this is what I want you to hear. If you have found yourself saying something like that, if you have found yourself saying a false narrative of what the world is truly like, your theology of the resurrection isn't big enough. Your theology of the resurrection isn't rich enough. Your theology of the resurrection isn't biblical enough. Because we clearly see that on Easter Sunday, it is one of the most important things that the apostles preach about. But here's what often happens in our theology, what we truly think about God and his world, is we typically get stuck. We typically get stuck in speaking of only the crucifixion. This happens all the time. On Monday, Thursday, I preached from Leviticus chapter 17. If you've never heard a sermon on Leviticus chapter 17, you should have been there. It was great. But then we quickly went to Isaiah 52 and 53, one of the most well-known passages in all of the Old Testament. He was pierced for our transgressions. Because of him, we find peace with God. He bore our sins on the cross. And we see this language explicitly in 1 Peter chapter 2. But this is what happens. We get stuck in our theology and we only talk about Jesus saving us from our sins and somehow everything is fine. Somehow, just because we don't have sin, no longer we're, go we're no longer going to hell and that's all that we need. Hell is no longer our destination, but heaven is. But here's the problem is that's not all that Jesus came to do. 
We rightly believe in the substitutionary atonement of Jesus. He took our punishment on the cross. We deserve to go to hell for our sins, to be banished out of God's presence because he is holy and we are not. He is clean and we are not. Our sin is a moral problem. It causes us to do evil in God's world. But our sin is also an ethical problem. It prohibits us from living the life we were created to live. And this is what Jesus goes to die for. And this is what Jesus raises from the dead for. Not only to save us from our sins, but to give us the life that he now has because he conquered sin and death and the grave. And this is what happens. Jesus raises from the dead, and his 12, and his 11, sorry, not 12, and his 11 disciples meet him in Galilee. And, and look at what they do. They went to Galilee, and in verse 16, to the mountain in which Jesus had directed them, and when they saw him, they worshiped him. That is the proper response. When we see the risen Jesus, his disciples worship him. But look what happens in the, in the very same sentence. But some doubted. Isn't that the life of a disciple of Jesus? In the same sentence, separated by a mere comma, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Now this word can easily be translated as some were hesitant. They hesitated. They didn't quite know what to do with this risen Jesus. But what does Jesus say to them? These disciples that worshipped him, but disciples that also doubted him. Well, this is where we get verse 18. Jesus came and said to them, All authority, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. He has loosened Satan's grip on his people. They have been freed from their sins, but more than that, they were buried in baptism to walk in newness of life in the resurrected Jesus' power. When we get stuck in Isaiah 52 and 53, we lose the context of that entire passage. Why does the suffering servant suffer for his people? So that they might enter into the new covenant, the new heavens and the new earth as God's new people who can come and buy salvation without money. So many of us speak about the ways of the world. We are so overcome about the culture, and it's just too bad. The culture is this. The world is that. But what we're really saying is, is there any hope in any of it? And we must ask ourselves, where do we find hope? Well, it's in passages like Matthew 28, verse 18. It's in the gospel story in that we believe that since Jesus has risen from the dead, 
Not only does God have all authority, but the God-man, Jesus Christ of Nazareth, has all authority in heaven and on earth. He is not dead. He is alive. And he has given his people his power to live right now. We're not waiting for a life to come. We are living in resurrection power right now. The civilian authorities tried to thwart everything that Jesus came to do. The religious authorities tried to kill Jesus at every opportunity that they had. Satan intervened in Jesus' life to try to destroy his kingdom, but they were not successful. Jesus is alive, risen from the dead. And this is our hope now. And here's the truth of the reality. If you don't believe in this resurrection power is strong enough, you won't have hope. Because all of our hope is found in Jesus. He who is dead is alive. Jesus' power will not be forsaken. It will not run out on you. But here's the challenge. If you think that by receiving this resurrection life, your life is fine and dandy, you don't understand the biblical narrative. Because if this resurrection life is in you now, you will face the same hostility that Jesus faced on Good Friday when he went to the cross. This is the way of the disciple. This is who Jesus is speaking to. Disciples that worshipped him, but yet were hesitant about what Jesus had just accomplished. Brothers and sisters, when our resurrection theology isn't big enough, when it isn't biblical enough, it's easy to lose hope. But if our Resurrection theology encapsulates that in the resurrection, all of the scriptures were fulfilled in Jesus. Not only do we have hope, we have life everlasting. Not only do we have hope, but we have power. We have power to do what Jesus commanded his disciples to do. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Go and make more disciples and baptize them in the same power that I have given you, that death will not conquer you. Satan and his foes have nothing over you because I have all power in heaven and on earth. You will never be shaken. You will never be cast out. He will not triumph over you because he is good. And he loves his people. And he has secured all things in the resurrection. What does Easter mean for you? What does the resurrection mean for you? It should mean everything. 
Because in resurrection life, that is what we find the power to live the life that we are called to right now in Fayette County. Right now in Shelby County, when you go into work, you are alive with resurrection power. We do not need to fear. We do not need to fear what our culture is teaching our children. God wins at the resurrection. We do not need to fear death. Oh, death, where is thy sting? Jesus is alive. That's not our last chapter. And there's also hope. And that's what's so important this morning. And there's hope for today, for tomorrow. Because Jesus says, I am with you always until the end of the age. Brothers and sisters, the lives we are called to live is the life we are called to live with resurrection power of Jesus. It's here, right now. We're not waiting. We're not waiting for this power. We're only waiting for our king to come and claim everything. And it's disciples like these, and it's disciples like you and like me that have this power because of Jesus. He is faithful. He is true. He has given everything up that you might have this power. Follow him by faith. Sin's curse has lost its grip on us because of Jesus, because of his death, because of his resurrection. No power of hell nor scheme of man can ever pluck us from his hand. Jesus is alive. This changes everything. Let's pray.